Romans chapter 12, and what he's teaching us here is he's teaching us conduct for life. And we're going to pick it up at verse 15, where we left off last time. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what we see here in verse 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. We are to have an attitude to be like-minded with people. If somebody is rejoicing, we are to rejoice. Now, you will see people around you getting scholarships who don't even know the Lord. You'll see people around you getting awards and promotions that you might feel that, hey, I should have gotten that. We are instructed to rejoice with those who rejoice. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, rejoice in the same way that you would rejoice if you had received that. Rejoice with them. And that's why when I see colleagues of mine winning national awards in, in say, the American Chemical Society, I will write them a handwritten note and say, congratulations, I am so happy for you. So happy for you. And I share in your joy. I will make a deliberate effort to share in their joy. We are to rejoice with those who are rejoicing as we would rejoice if we had received that same award. And then he says, we are to weep with those who weep. There are people that we see in life that we need to be able to to go and to empathize with them and to weep with them. I didn't even really know how to how to relate to a person that had lost a loved one. And I just watched my wife. How did she do it? And just she just says, "I'm so sorry." And she just goes up and hugs them. And that that just uh um she becomes one with them in that. And uh uh it's learning how to do this. We don't always know how to walk in these ways. This, this is conduct that the Word of God is instructing us in, and He's teaching us how to walk in these things. And then He says in verse 16, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So He says, I want you to be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind. One of the things that I've learned over the years is to make very good friends with the custodian that cleans my office and cleans my laboratories. And I will always learn their name and I will pray for them. And so, like when I first met her, I mean, she's been my custodian now for probably five or six years, and Maria, and I say, can I, do you have, do you have a, do you have any children I can pray for? Immediately, they warm up to you. And uh, I ended up praying for her kids, and then I ended up saying, you know, let me meet them, and I led one of them to the Lord, and then the other one came, and I prayed with him as well, and uh, they've come to this class, and it meant so much to her that I would reach out to her children who were in high school and just beginning college at the time. She became 
just really dear to me. And then when she was going through surgery, I would pray for her. You know, she'd come in, she'd tell me that she has to go in for surgery. She's going to be out for, say, six weeks or something. And I'd pray for her. And she does so much for me, much more than she does for anyone else in the department. People say, why she, why, why she always do this stuff for you? Look at me. And I say, she likes me. She likes me. She knows that the restroom on my floor is like ten times cleaner than any other restroom on the other floors. Because she does that for me. And, and uh, I was approached by the head custodian saying, you know, she, she's using all these cleaning fluids that are not approved to be used. I said, but I like them. They're, 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 they're better. And I will buy extra cleaning fluids and leave them so she can, and she buys them too, and, and applies them. And uh, uh, even like the, the, the stainless steel dividers, the stainless steel dividers in, in, in the bathroom, she will oil those down so they stay shiny rather than getting this, this rustiness on them. And the head custodian was saying, this is not approved. I'd say, but it's good, isn't it? Isn't it good that she is showing, uh, uh, going above and beyond what's expected of her? She's even buying solutions that you guys won't provide for her. And, uh, and so I had a, a, a visitor to campus not too long ago, and he was spending some time in my, a couple days in my research group, and he's quite a famous guy. And, and, uh, and I stopped in the hallway, and I wanted to introduce him to my custodian. And so I introduced him to her, and I introduced her to him, and, and he was saying to her, you, you, know, you, you know, you work for, for a guy who does a, a lot of different things. She says, oh, I like working for him. She said, wherever he goes, if they move him to another building, if he gets other labs, I'm going to go be his custodian there. I like working for him. And, and uh, uh, if we associate with the lowly, it does so much difference. If I see a plumber, I'm going to, in my lab, I'll say, hey, how are you doing? And I'll talk to them. And uh, if I see somebody changing the light, I will engage with them. Because the Bible tells us to do this. It says that we are to associate with the lowly. We are to associate, make an effort to associate to people who, compared to where we might be in the, 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 the social aspects of life, we are to make a physical attempt to associate with them and befriend them. As students, you can do that. You, if you reach out to a, to a custodian, uh, or to somebody who's, who's doing the grounds and just stop and talk to them, because they look at students like, wow, you've really made it. <clears throat> you're really going places that you're a student in this place. <clears throat> so I urge you to do that and things change. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine. He and I were in graduate school and he's become very famous. And, uh, um, uh, he told me he was over my house not too long ago and he told me you know 30 years ago i visited you and 30 years ago i was i was teaching at the university of south carolina he said when i visited you in your office you only introduced me to one person in your whole building <clears throat> it was your custodian and i didn't even remember he says you stopped your custodian in the hallway and you introduced me to her and her to me. He says, I'll always remember that. And, and, uh, um, so if, if we make an effort, and I'm not saying I've got this thing mastered. No, not at all. I'm just saying from my experience, things that, that, that I've seen. I remember when I was in graduate school, the Vietnamese, uh, refugees started coming over in mass. And we never saw Vietnamese refugees before. And, and, uh, uh, 
And I remember there was one Vietnamese refugee that, that started working as a custodian in the department where I was a new graduate student. And I stopped and I saw him cleaning. I, I looked at him. I, I started talking. I said, are you from Vietnam? And thinking about what he's been through, I can certainly understand. They use a wooden stick to prop the doors open. And he grabbed the wooden stick and held it. He thought that maybe I, I meant... And I said, I said, you know, tell me, do you have a family? And, and I started asking him, and he put the stick down, and he realized I meant him no harm. And then, uh, uh, after my first year I got married, I was showing Shireen around the chemistry department one evening, and I introduced her to this man. And he was just so warm. When we go and we, we, we initiate something to speak to those that might be on a social status different than us, it is a it is what we are told to do. If you go around this church, you will find people who are CEOs in very big companies. But you would never know it. You would never know it because they're they're setting up chairs and they're doing things. And and uh, but they are associating with people because we are one in the body of Christ, and this is what he's telling us to do. And then he says he says, uh, do not be haughty in mind. I had to give a talk to some folks in Norway. I was giving a talk that it, we just posted on the internet last night, actually. And, and uh, it's on Origin of Life. And they asked me to log in to this, this webcast an hour before it was going to start in Norway. And, and I logged in, and the guy who was going to interview me started coming with all these things, and he just started coming with very hard questions before the webcast even hit. So I was like... You know, my fists were double over, and I was locked and loaded, and I was... And he says, do you know anything about this? I said, yes, I know a lot about that subject. Do you? He says, well, actually, I don't know much about it. I said, well, then I'll teach you today. And, and so I was ready to fight. But it was still a long time before the webcast, and then he said, okay, we're all set up here, and uh, uh, you can just turn off your camera and turn off your, your sound and, and work for 30 minutes and then and come back on. And so during that 30 minutes, I was really convicted and I had just sat and I started reading this passage, do not be haughty in mind. And I looked up, what does haughty mean? And it says arrogant and disdainful. And that's exactly how I had treated this guy who was going to be interviewing me. So I got on my knees. I said, Lord, I pray that I'm not haughty. I pray that I don't come through with a prideful attitude as this guy is interviewing me. And I was going to give a talk and then he was going to interview me. And my whole attitude was changed. And then when I got back on for the webcast, I did the webcast, and I thought I was really gracious. And I was smiling and kind and saying, that's a good question. You know, something I don't normally say. When somebody asks me a question, I don't say, that's a good question. Because I just don't say. I, I don't say, that's a stupid question. I, mean, I, I, just, I just leave it neutral. And, and, uh, but I was saying, that's a good question. And, and um, I think he sensed, he said, what happened to this guy? There was a transition. That transition occurred like 15 minutes before the webcast. It occurred because I read this verse. And it really checked me. And I'm so glad. And if you go, if you go to DR James Tour and you watch that, where I give this talk, and then I, then I start answering questions. I mean, look at how gracious I was. I was really... And now, if you think I'm not gracious, look, that's the best I can do. Right? But, but I was really trying to be kind and smiling and, and, and trying to say the person's name and who so-and-so is asking and was addressing them by name, something I wouldn't normally do. But the Bible, I read this scripture and it convicted me that I had to change my attitude. This is what the Bible does and I'm so thankful for it. 
Verse 17, never, oh, verse 16, the last sentence, do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I'm just telling you, from experience, if you start thinking, hey, you know, I, I got this, I know this, you are ready to fall. I mean, just fall. You're going to say something really dumb, or you're going to be typing an email and spe- spell something terribly wrong, and you know, you, you you're going to give the impression that you were up here and, you, and they're going to see, know that you're just not really up there. As believers, as believers, we are, we are admonished. It says in Proverbs 16, verse 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit be, before stumbling. In Proverbs 3, 7, it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In Isaiah, Isaiah 5.21, it says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. You know, when we as believers act like we are really something, like, you know, I'm a sophomore now. Look at these freshmen coming in. I mean, they don't, they don't even know what building to go to. And, and uh, just remember, you're in for a fall. Just, just hold yourself because you're in for a fall. God does that and allows us to 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 uh, uh, really be shamed in a sense like, okay, Lord, I'm not quite what I thought I was. So and I'm just just speaking from my own life, things that I've seen. We're not to be wise in our own estimation. Verse verse seventeen: Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Look at this: Never anyone, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. We're never to to come with evil for evil. If somebody does us evil, we're not to come back with evil toward them. Then that that does not mean that you can't defend your family if somebody breaks into your home. He's not talking about that. Look, that might happen like zero to one time in your life. He's talking about all the other interactions that we have. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. We were, we're to respect what is right in the sight of all men. We all know this. You don't go hitting on another man's wife. You don't walk as a coward in war. I mean, there are things that are common to all men. Things that are common to everybody. He says we're to respect what is right for all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We are to try our hardest to be at peace with everyone. Now, not everyone is going to engage back in a peaceful way. But from our side, we we are admonished to walk in peace toward them. If there's ad hominem attack, we are not to strike back with an ad hominem attack. I mean, uh, you, you know, sometimes I, I got them some things that I could really wind up and, and, and just really give it to them with, with, with a reply. But I am told to keep that in check. I'm told not to respond the same way that they have toward me. And then he says in verse 19, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We are never to take our own revenge. Never are we to take our own revenge. We're not to take our own revenge. But it doesn't stop there. He says, it says, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I have seen this in my life. You know, when people come against me really hard, I feel bad for them. Not because they're making idiots of themselves. I feel bad for them because I know what my God is going to do to them. I know it. 
I love God so much and He loves me so much. Sometimes I, I say to the Lord, with all that you bless me with, with, Lord, how have you time to bless anybody else? I mean, with how good He is to me. I know God loves me so much. I am utterly convinced God loves me. And when people do things to harm me, I feel bad for them because I know what is written here. That that vengeance is mine, I will repay. You see, God says, I will repay. That means He's going to repay. He said it. He said, you leave it to me, I will repay. God is not like, we'll just let this thing slide. No, He is now. This is written in His Word. It has to happen. One man came against me tremendously, both in business and in academics, and I knew it was not going to go well for him. He got sick and died. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, God, there, God is a, God protects me. God does this. When people have come against me, when they filed lawsuits that were absolutely frivolous, I had done nothing, nothing. I had actually done so much for them. And they came back and sued me. I knew that it was not going to go well for them. And then I, you know, I had to dig up a gazillion documents and I found all the, this documentation to support my case. And then it was just so overwhelming that, that they just dropped this case. They just dropped it, but I still had to, you know, I had to go to the mediation and the mediator, the mediator is looking at this like, look what this guy has done for you. And, and uh, uh, it just, it just creamed them. And then all of a sudden, I find out that these same people that, that sued me, they got sued by another party in the case, and in that suit, they took the exact same words that they used in the case against me. Their lawyer was not creative at all. They took the exact same words and cut and pasted into their argument against them. I mean, the very words that they came against me with, it came back on them. It came back on them. God takes vengeance. I'm just telling you, leave it in God's hands. He'll do it better than you ever could. Ever. And and uh, I never initiate lawsuits. I just don't do it. I leave room for the wrath of God. This is what God says. And, and, uh, and, and so I... You, you know, he, the scriptures say, I will repay, says the Lord. He says, but it's for you, in verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. When they had filed suit against me, I I called the one young lady. I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to say, let's just have a discussion. What did I do? And she wouldn't call me back. "What, What did I do? I said, at every junction, I tried to help you. How did I not help you enough? And, uh, um... So when we do this, we are supposed to go and we are supposed to try to reconcile. We are supposed to do something for them. And look what he says. He says, but when, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And he's, he's actually quoting from Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. And if you go back to chapter, to Proverbs 25, 21 and 22, the last part is, and the Lord will reward you. So he says, and you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. 
It says in Proverbs, you will be rewarded if you show kindness to your enemy. If you show them kindness, you will be rewarded. Leave room for the vengeance of God because God will repay. When we treat our enemies differently than they treat us, when we do them a specific act of good, it says feed them. It says do this for them. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You are to do something good for them. And in fact, what I had done, these people that had come against me, I went to to the people that they owed money to, and I paid it. And still they sued me. I paid these debts on their behalf. So I knew God was not going to let this thing alone. I knew that they were in for it. And my daughter, who's a lawyer, she says, you know, you got... And I said, and I was just meditating on the Word of God. And I said, Sabrina, this is going to be just like Haman. When he tried to hang Mordecai, he got hung on his own gallows. And then she saw it. The exact words that they came against me with in a lawsuit... Another lawyer took those words and put it right back on them. And in that lawsuit, it says, Professor Tour has done this, this, and this, and done everything good. And that's the way... <laughs> and he even started praising me in this thing. It just flipped the whole thing around. And it was, it was Haman got hung on his own gallows. Leave room for the wrath of God. You do them good, you show them good, and God will reward you. It's verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Specific acts of good. C.S. Lewis says, we are now obliged to do them specific acts of good. When people have come against us, now we must go into action. Our action must be to do them good. We are required to do that. And you might say, well, does God... Does that mean that, that, that I'm to become a doormat? Is that what he's asking me to do, just to become a doormat? No, he's not asking you to become a doormat. He's asking you to become the scum of the world and the dregs of all things. A doormat's too good. I, I like to keep my doormat clean. Occasionally I wash it. If the wind blows it off the front step, I will put it back. I take care of my doormat. Doormat's too good for us. You see, you're crazy. Let's see what the scriptures say. First of all, we are to be like Paul, the apostle. We are to be like the apostles. So in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, The things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we are to be like the apostles. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. So we are to imitate Paul. Follow me as I follow Christ, the, the King James says. So that's in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. So, so um, if, we, if we look at this passage, let's look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 through 16. We're going to look at the life of Paul. We have been instructed in the scriptures to be like Paul. Well, how did Paul live? Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 9. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. 
So he's saying we're, we're a spectacle. We have a great cloud of witnesses around us. Everybody sees this. Everyone in the world sees this. And the angels see this. Well, what do they see? Verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. What he's saying is, if you want to live and not walk according to these patterns of Scripture and not go, quote-unquote, overboard in following Jesus, everybody's going, okay, you're cool. You're all right. But if you really want to start living by these things, he says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you're prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. Then he goes on. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, and poorly clothed and roughly treated, and we are homeless. I've met people that call themselves apostle. I'm apostle so-and-so. I'm like, do you know what it really means to be an apostle? First of all, you're probably going to be killed for your faith, if you're really an apostle. Second of all, homeless you're not going to have very good clothing. You're going to be hungry. You're going to be thirsty. I mean, it's hard being an apostle. And an apostle in the scriptures, according to the scriptures, you had to have seen the risen Jesus. You had to have seen him. But in any case, verse 12, And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. Look what he says. Exactly what he told us to do. He has to do himself. He, he says that, that when we are reviled, we bless. People revile us. You know what that means? Just curse you out. You're to bless them. That's what I do, Paul says. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. What did he tell us? In persecution, we're to endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. He slandered me. I didn't do this. Conciliate. Conciliate. Bring reconciliation. Try to bring reconciliation. He slandered me and I'm to conciliate? Yes. We are to be imitators of Paul in this. We have become the scum of the world, the dregs of all things. That's why I say a doormat is too good. You're not a doormat. You are the scum of the world, the dregs of all things. Scum, you do not clean up and put back on the mat. You just throw it out. Dregs, you do not clean up and put back on the front step. You throw it out. He says, that's what we've become. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you have count. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. What we have in Paul, we have an example. We have an example. And he says, follow my example. Follow me as I follow Christ. This is exactly how Jesus lived. When he gives us these rules for conduct, he's not giving this to us to be over, to overwhelm us. He's not giving us this to overwhelm us. He says, this is not too much for you. Now, 
I will confess to you, I fail in these things all the time. And this is why this is hard to teach, because it's not like I've mastered these things. And you know how, how I can get through this teaching knowing that, that I haven't mastered these things myself? Look in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. Philippians 3 verse 12. Philippians 3 verse 12 says, Not that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 12, he says, Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. He says, look, I'm working at this just like you. This is why I see... I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I really failed on one of these things, and I was just so embarrassed. And now I've got to get up and teach this stuff. Not that I've already obtained it, or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ. Jesus laid hold of my life. I'm going to press on with Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. See how many times he tells us he hasn't laid hold of it yet. He told us in verse 12, I haven't already obtained it. I've not become perfect. He says in verse 13, Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. That is remarkable. Take hold of that. Forget what lies behind. I blew it two weeks ago. Such that one brother of mine in this church, he says, Jim, I'm advising you as a brother that doesn't reflect well on you. And I said to him, I receive that as a brother. And he says, I'm advising you as a brother. And I said, I receive it as a brother. I mean, I was terribly embarrassed. And I got to come in and teach this stuff. I forget what lies behind. If I dwell on my failure from two weeks ago, there's no way I could come in and teach this. I just kind of gloss over this and go right on into chapter 13. But no, I'm going to forget what lies behind because if we hold on to our failures in the past, it is like a, a vortex going right down the drain. It'll just suck us right down. I mean, imagine Paul's life. This is a guy who persecuted believers was there at the stoning of Stephen and was persecuting believers, having them thrown into prison. And after being thrown into prison, you can read what happened to believers thrown into prison in the first century. It was not pretty at all. You read about this, and Tacitus writes about this, a, 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 Roman, a, a uh, Roman official, Pliny the Younger, another Roman official. They would strap fresh animal skins over their backs and throw them to wild dogs. They would send them off to execution. Plenty the younger would say, I sent them off to execution just for being stubborn. That was enough. That's all I needed from these Christians. Just stubbornness was enough to send them off to execution. If Paul stayed there, he never could have accomplished what he accomplished. I'm telling you, if David stayed there, where he slept with the wife of someone who was out fighting his battles with another man's wife and had that man killed. If David stayed there in his life, he never could have continued on serving the Lord. 
I need to forget what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we're going to close with this, Galatians 2.20. Remember we talked about this last time, the substituted life. I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer about me. It's no longer I who live. It's no longer about feeding my own flesh. It's no longer about my own image in the world. It's no longer I who live. It's no longer what people think of me. It's no longer about me. But it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. My life has to be captured by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave his life for me. It's a substituted life. It's no longer me. That's how I can go on. That's how I can fail and get up here and teach. Because it's not about me. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your mercies and your grace. You are so good to me. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the substituted life that we live for you just as you gave your life for us. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to something way, way beyond ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us even to be the scum of the world, the dregs of all things. Thank you, Lord, that we are never, never to take our own revenge. We are never to repay evil for evil to anyone. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you call us to this. Thank you, Lord, that you display vengeance on behalf of your children, and we are to leave that to you. Blessed be your name, Lord God, that you would call us to do specific acts of good toward those who have meant us harm. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to be like Jesus, the one who demonstrated all these things for us. Lord, you are the one who lived a life, a perfect life, and then poured out your life for those that crucified you. And how you proclaimed from the very cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord Jesus, thank you. You are so good in everything. May we be more like you. Father, I pray for these young people that you'd get a hold of their lives. And Lord, those that would hear this message that don't know you, this is impossible for them. This is too much to bear. Father, I pray that you would save their souls that they would come and say, I believe that Jesus is Lord and that he has risen from the dead and see the power of God fill their lives in salvation. Lord, save their souls, I pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Um, if you do not know the Lord, I just urge you to reach out to me. Just send me an email. Uh, tour at drjamestour.org and I will, 
I will reply back. We will get together. I will share with you. You'll get to know the Lord that very same day. You'll get saved that very same day. Please give me that opportunity.